one of my favorite things about this podcast is that I get to meet incredible people like Tia. Tia is a queer and trans non-binary wedding photographer and business coach whose personal mission is to show the world that love doesn't have a single aesthetic and to help marginalized people generate life-changing wealth. This conversation had me in my feels. I absolutely loved everything that Tia had to say, and we talked about a range of topics from making sure that we're doing things that we love in a way that's helping us generate wealth, and also making sure that we are marketing to our ideal clients without triggering them. We're doing trauma-aware marketing in this conversation, and we covered so many things, and Tia was a wealth of information and just such a joy to talk to. I am really excited for you guys to listen in on this episode and let us know what you think. Hey y'all, welcome to season two of the Success Beyond Lens podcast. If you're a photographer looking to grow your business through marketing strategy and different revenue streams, then this is 100% the season you're going to want to listen into. We have a range of guests talking about different ways to grow your photography business through multiple marketing platforms, copy strategy, and revenue streams. So grab your favorite glass of wine, a cup of coffee, your AirPods, and a pen and paper, and let's dive in. Thank you so much for joining on another episode of the Success Beyond Lens podcast. I'm really excited to introduce to you all today's guest, Tia Nash. Tia, thank you so much for coming on today. Yeah, thank you for having me. I would love if you would introduce yourself to our audience, let us know who you are, what you do, who you serve, and what you love. <laughs> so many questions. I know. Uh, I just we'll cover the whole gamut of things. We'll just just start right off. Um, so I'm Tia Nash. My pronouns are they them. I'm a queer wedding photographer based out of New Orleans, Louisiana. My wedding business is really focused on celebrating and affirming marginalized love, um, and that can look like a bunch of different ways. I do a ton of queer weddings, but also a ton of other different weddings, and I just really want uh, to push the wedding industry in a direction that is really affirming like all different types of relationships. So that's really what I do in my wedding photography business. And then when I'm not photographing, I'm also a business coach. And my coaching business is about helping people find paths to wealth that like feel really good and really align with their personal energy. It's like business coaching from a very like whole human perspective that kind of like ditches a lot of things that we've been told to do ditches a lot of like guilt and shame in the business world and just focuses on like finding whatever actually works for you. And like, if that means slowing down and if that means maybe not hitting that six figure year, because like that wasn't aligned with the energy that you had, like it's okay. It's about like finding whatever income level or whatever process works for you and for your energy and just like really honoring that. I love that. We had a guest a few weeks ago who her and I talk, she's one of my best friends. Her and I talk mm-hmm. about a lot about energy and her and my energy are total like polar opposites. I'm a generator and she is not, can't remember what hers is. <laughs> Sorry, Billy. <laughs> uh, but the total opposite. So she has a really hard time building her business because she has like spurts of energy and then it drops and it's like spurts. of yeah. energy. So I love that. That's such a core piece of your business yeah. coaching. Cause I think it's mm-hmm. so important. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like so many entrepreneurs end up burning out or end up like two years into their business being like, great, I hit the six figure year. I did all these things, but 
then they like pause and look around and they're like, actually, I hate this. Yeah. (laughs) And then they're like, what can I do next? (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And I just have to ask because New Orleans is one place that I haven't managed to get to yet, Mm -hmm. but I've been dying to go. Is it as like, I feel like it's such a magical place, but is that like in my head? No, there is like, it's a very magical place. It like really is. (laughs) I moved here. This is like my 12th year living in New Orleans. So I'm not like from New Orleans, from New Orleans, but I've lived here for 12 years. It like very much feels like home here. And still like, I I mean, the French quarters are like most iconic touristy place. It's like feels very what you imagine New Orleans to feel like. And I still walk around. I mean, I'm there like at least once a week for photo shoots and I still walk around and I'm like, dang, like it is like, there is something about this place, even when it's like really hot, raining really hard because it's the subtropics. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) there's still something. So, and like this time of year, the whole city gets like really full of like fog and mist because it's like built on a swamp. Like it's very swampy. (laughs) Yeah. So you like walk out your door in the morning and you like smell the air and it's like, hmm, swampy, but it's still like kind of like mystical and magical. I really love it here. It's a great city. You should come visit. <laughs> oh, I'm, it is definitely on the list. I don't know what year it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. Yeah. Um, I, I grew up in Florida, like central Florida. So I am familiar with humidity. With the swamp life. <laughs> yes. Yes. With the swamp life. Exactly. I grew up in like this itty bitty town where like a hangout spot was the swamp. Which, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, that was more my sister's cup of tea. I'm like, I'll stay away from the swamp things. <laughs> Fun fact, my uncle was actually a gator wrestler. Oh. <laughs> so like so like really in the swamp. So like really in the swamp, y'all. Like no joke. <laughs> okay. So to dive into today's topics. So I loved Tia's topics so much. They mentioned trauma-aware marketing in their form. And I absolutely loved it. You all know that I have been in therapy for a little over a year dealing with my own trauma. So that was one of the things that they mentioned, and I can't wait to chat about it. Can you let us know what that means, what that looks like, all of that fun stuff? Yeah. So like when I was growing my business, I was obviously like consuming a ton of business podcasts and business information in business. I was reading books on sales and I was just consuming as much content as I could. And like really your first thing that you should do in your marketing is find the pain points and address the pain points and like explicitly talk about pain points. And I think that's like one area where I see marketing really be not trauma informed because it, it it's not actually it's not great for like someone to land on your website. And then the first thing that they see, or like the second or third thing they see as they scroll on your website is like all of these pain points that they didn't necessarily like consent to thinking about, sent to like bring being brought into that conversation. And so like, it just doesn't feel right when looking at it from like a trauma-informed lens. So instead of pain points, I often think about, well, what good things can I do for my clients? And so like kind of turning your marketing from being I don't know, like a, like a pain point, I feel like in wedding photography and one that I had on my own website was like rowdy family members or like family members. Like I remember my first website, I'm very good at like wrangling people for group photos. I was a high school teacher for a long time. Like I can break out my teacher voice and I can like get people in order very well. (laughs) And so like I had a line on my website that was, 
about how like I can wrangle like even your drunkest family members. And like, I was like specifically talking to that like pain point of like having rowdy families or like having families that don't really want to participate in family photos and how I can address that. And I addressed it from a pain point perspective. I've now shifted it because I don't really need to be talking to people about their like overly drunk family members because that is something, I mean, there's, I have alcoholism in my family and other people definitely do. And I like see it happen at weddings all the time where there's someone struggling with this or like someone's got this. It's just, that is a conversation that I like the person who's on my website didn't consent to participate in. And so like thinking about, okay, what are the things that we have on our website or in our marketing copy that like are very explicitly speaking to pain points and how can we turn it to instead be just actually about like the services that we provide. So I think now my website, I have to look at it exactly because I wrote it like six months ago. (laughs) Um, But like a more recent iteration of my website talks about how I get the creative portraits, but then also get the like family portraits that like your mom would want to see or that your family would want to see. I can do both. And it like communicates the same thing, but doesn't bring people. Yeah. Bring people into that like kind of a shame spiral. A lot of another really common one that I see is about body images, especially Mm-hmm. When talking about like boudoir or photography, like maybe you don't like yourself in photos and it's like, well, did they like say that they didn't like themselves in photos? Did they like consent to start thinking about like not liking how they look in photos? And so I think that there are just a lot of little points where we can really question like what is the motive behind what we're writing and what we're marketing? Pain point marketing works. Like it is effective. It is right. science backed. Like it it works. But does it work because people really, truly want to work with us? Or does it work because like we get them into a vulnerable state and then sell to them to like solve their problems? I think that's what it does. <laughs> I think it gets right. people into like a really vulnerable state. And then you're like, now you're in this vulnerable weak state. Like here are my solutions. And it's like, oh goodness, this doesn't align with my personal ethics. So it's something that I stopped doing. I actually love that perspective. I think it's easy for us to write copy your social media captions or our website and Mm -hmm. put someone else's problems up there on like this big screen and be like, we can fix this. We're not taking into consideration like, yeah, we can probably fix it, but can we phrase it in a way that maybe doesn't beat them over the head with the baseball bat? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know? Yeah. So I think figuring out ways to reframe our copy that allows us to showcase our expertise while still Mm -hmm. maintaining a level of respect is actually a really great point. Yeah. And I explicitly talk about being like a consent-based business. And that's something that like has been a marketing thing that people have been really attracted to. And it's something that like I don't see a lot in the photography industry. I don't share reviews without consent. I don't share images without consent. And a lot of people have like a model release in their contract and I do too. But just because I have a model release in my contract doesn't mean like I fully have consent to share the images. And like, if anyone ever wants me to not share their images, I'm fine with that. Like sometimes it's like, oh, this is a really beautiful event with like a really beautiful story. I would love to share this story, but if it's not what they want or they're private people or whatever, that's fine with me because I will always put consent and like involving people in the conversation ahead of marketing my own business. And through that, I feel like I've found more business because people kind of can see the bigger picture and like see how I treat them as like full humans. I love that point. I think we're so afraid of owning the parts of our business that can make us feel vulnerable, Mm -hmm. right? So instead of us feeling vulnerable in making that decision. Like, okay, I'm going to focus on 
consent-based photography, meaning like the clients that are coming to me will feel safe with me. How did you come to a point of feel of that being a place of a decision of empowerment rather than, you know, having almost like a scarcity mindset around it? Like a scarce, like if I do this and nobody will let me share. Right. Um, that's a really good question. And it's definitely something that I was nervous about. And I feel like there have been a few things in my business where I've been like, is doing this going to get me like, make me have less marketing materials? Maybe, maybe yes. But is it worth it to have a business that actually aligns with like my values and treats people how I would want to be treated? I don't necessarily want, like when I go get my hair cut or like get my teeth cleaned, like I don't necessarily want to be on those people's Instagrams. It's fine. Like sometimes it's fine, but like I, I was talking with someone who I like consider a friend who has like a fairly large platform on Instagram. And I was doing boudoir photos for her and she has this like pretty large audience. It's much bigger now than when I took the photos of her and she, and we were like talking about consent and like whether or not I could share them. And she was like, yes, you can share them, but just don't tag me because whenever she is like a fat person, I'm a fat person. Like we had that bond. (laughs) And she was like, I just like to make sure I am going to get hate and I'm going to like get trolls whenever my image is posted. And Mm. so I like to, she's like, I do share images of me in my underwear or me in a swimsuit or like, because that's like, that is her realm. She is like a fashion blogger, but that idea of what I put out into the world. And now like, I have a pretty sizable audience on TikTok. Like it is quite possible that if I share your wedding on TikTok, like you could have a million people see it. Do you want that attention? Sure. It's great for my business to get that attention, but you never know what trolls are going to come out of the woodworks or like what hate could come out. And it's not worth it for me. Like if someone isn't ready for that to potentially happen. And like, I do delete comments. And anytime I share about like me or my family, like me and my wife, we have a little kid. And like, anytime I share about that, I get hate from random strangers just saying awful things. And so I think for me, because I have experienced that, like I've experienced a level of like people being trolly to me, it just doesn't even, I could have half the, like half of my weddings could say, you can't share any images for me. And I'm like, that kind of sucks for my marketing, but you don't, you don't deserve to be like, have potential trolls after you. Like, it's just, when I really think about it, there's no way for me to be okay with sharing things that people aren't really on board with me sharing. And it could take you into a scarcity mindset, but it's just like, even if it is, it's not worth it. It's just not worth it for me. So how did those conversations normally go with your, your clients in, especially because on TikTok, you have a, a solid following and it's growing and more than just a few thousand people will see their stuff. How do you have that conversation with them to possibly prepare them for that and also be that transparent about it? Yeah. So I find more often than not, people are really excited to share their stories. And especially for me, I found that like a lot of my queer couples are really excited to like share their weddings because they really struggled to see weddings that looked like theirs before the planning process. So like overwhelmingly people want to share their work and want to have more representation out there in the wedding world, which I love. I love that. (laughs) Um, And I agree too. Like I want more representation out there. So they sign the contract and that like has a model release in it. Then usually leading up to it, there's like a little box on their questionnaire. That's like, do I have consent to share your things? But then usually also on a wedding day, we'll be like talking about it and I'll just like kind of get their feelings from it in person. Cause you can really tell 
when you're like, oh, can I like share this on TikTok? If people are like, yes, please do that. I'd love that. Or if they're like, eh, maybe not. And then I'm like, that's fine. I can share it on Instagram. I know it'll have a smaller reach on Instagram or I could share it nowhere. And if I don't have that conversation on the wedding day, then usually I just DM them after the wedding to just check in again. Because like signing the contract usually happens like 18 months, 12 to 18 months before the wedding. And so I like to check in again, like on the wedding or around the wedding, whether it's in person or just like in DMs quickly. <laughs> yeah, I think that's such a, a great conversation to have and really getting that extra layer of, of consent for your clients is incredible. And I think it speaks a lot to the space that you've created too. They're excited to share because they know that you created this incredible space for them to be safe to share, which is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool. I really like it. And yeah, there was no, there were no clients this fall who told me not to share. There was one client who said, can you hold off on sharing until after Christmas? Because we want to like have this be like an intimate family thing before it's like a public thing. It's like, of course, (laughs) of course. That's awesome. So when we're talking about (laughs) trauma aware marketing, we mentioned pain points. Are there other things that we can take into consideration when, you know, I mean, even just off the hand comments that we can make on social media, I think can, can be worrisome. What are other ways that we can be aware of ensuring that we're affirming people rather than putting them in a place of vulnerability? Yeah. I think another thing that I have changed in my business that is like against like what science-based sales would be is I've really tried to take away urgency marketing. I've tried to really work into my sales process. And like, I do have like a pretty good sales conversion rate, but I just, it, my exact sales conversion rate definitely has decreased a bit since like kind of slowing things down. And it it's a change that like has ended up being totally fine for me because like I decreased the number of sales that I convert, but I've increased the number of quality leads that I get. So like it all ends up being about the same. I just like needed to drive more traffic to my website, get more qualified leads reaching out to me to kind of account for it. But I feel like one thing that I was taught was like, send them, you know, do a sales call, send a proposal, and then tell them that they like need to make a decision within 48 hours or tell them that like, if they make a decision within 48 hours, then they like get some bonus. This price is only valid for whatever amount of time. And like, as I've moved into a higher price point, like these aren't just multiple hundred dollar decisions that they're making to hire me. It's multiple thousands of dollars of a decision to hire me. And so it's like, I need to give people space and time to like really think through whether or not I'm the right person for them. And then when they do make the decision, they are like very excited and feel very empowered in that decision. And they didn't feel like rushed through the process. So I do like check up on them. I will, you know, send the proposal. And if I don't hear back, I'll send an email being like, Hey, no pressure. This isn't a rush. Just wanted to check in on you and make sure you had everything you needed. Do you have any questions for me? And so like, I keep in communication with them, but I don't have any like hard deadline for when they need to be doing something. I do tell them that like, I can't reserve a date until I have a signed contract and invoice because I can't hold a date for like a month. Like it just doesn't work. Right. Definitely. (laughs) So I, (laughs) I have to be like very honest with them about that. But I'm like, okay with sales process. Like I'm okay with sending a proposal and them not making a decision for three weeks. A lot of times they're like involving family members in on the decision or like figuring out, well, can we spend less on florals or can we spend less on a cake or where else can we get money from? Or like, how can we make this work? And so just like really giving people 
the time and space to make very thought out thorough decisions and like not limiting how much time they have to think about it. That's actually something that I've practiced in my business quite a bit, but I like that you're still following up. I think there's a disconnect when we don't put a sense of urgency on it, but then we're like, if there's no sense of urgency, then I can just like back away slowly and never talk to them again. So talk to me about what that follow-up process looks like for you too. Yeah. So usually it's like the day after I send the proposal, I'll send a quick follow-up email to just like check in with them and make sure that the proposal was what they wanted. Because maybe they could be like, actually, we thought about it overnight and we do want to have a rehearsal dinner and tweak that in the proposal. And I'm like, sure. (laughs) Like, yes, I can do more. (laughs) And then usually I'll wait like a week or even on my console calls, I'll be like, when is a good time for me to check in with you about this? And like bringing that kind of consent piece back. And I often will say something like, I don't want to like blow up your inbox if you know this was going to be like a longer decision for you. And I also want you to have the time and space to like make that decision. And so I'll ask them when is a good time to follow up. So it's like send proposal next morning, like send an email, just like being like, make sure that's all right. And then like sending a follow-up email kind of whenever they specified, or if they didn't specify, usually like a week later, I'll just like touch base again and just be like, do you have everything you need? There's no pressure to make a decision. I just want to make sure that you're taken care of and like kind of approaching it from that perspective. That's awesome. That's such a great idea. So do you, I know you, you use Dubsado, right? Mm -hmm. So do you use Dubsado to help you keep track of things that way? Or do you put like reminders on your calendar or are you just one of those superhumans just remember to follow things up? (laughs) No, (laughs) no, not at all. Right now I'm like very much not in booking season. So I don't have my little planner out here. But usually I'll just, I will, if they, if they tell me like a lot of times it'll be like, oh, well in two weeks we're seeing their family. And so we're going to be talking about it then. And we'll probably be making a decision after that, which is like really helpful for me to know because then I'm not sending follow-up emails before then, because like, I know that they're planning on talking about this in two weeks with family, wherever. So I'll either just like put a quick little calendar thing in my calendar, like a little event to be like, follow up with this person. Sometimes if I'm really on top of it, I'll like write the email and then like schedule it to go out in advance. That's doesn't That's happen. That's super <laughs> smart. I love it. But then other times I'll just like have a running list of all my open leads and my planner. And I'll just like check off who I followed up with or like who needs following up with. And honestly, just having like a running list on the side of my planner of like, who's currently in the booking process is super helpful for me because like once January hits, I very easily have 10 to 15 people in my booking funnel Right. And it can get like a little hectic and like a little easy to just be like, well, I don't know. (laughs) Good luck, everyone. (laughs) May the odds ever be in your favor. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And, and I'm, I'm taking very limited weddings. Like I'm taking 20 weddings next year and probably only 15 weddings in 2023. So I want people who want to book me to book me and like, they do need to move, but I, I don't like the like whole I only have one spot left, even when people like don't really only have one spot left or like when people are like making up this fake urgency, but I do like to be transparent with people. So I'll often like share my availability. This is how much I have left. Or like, these are the days that I'm booked, but I'm not booking every Saturday. So like, if you see an empty Saturday, that doesn't mean I'm booking every Saturday. Like I'm trying to leave at least one Saturday every month or like one weekend every month where I'm completely off. And people respond really well to that, to feeling, to me, just being very transparent about how much room I have left without being like, reach out now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's such a, cause that, you know, that one spot lasts for like six months. <laughs> yeah. That, that's a problem. 
<laughs> You've been 50% booked for 2022 for three years. Like, <laughs> exactly. like, like I feel like someone just told sense. us all to, yeah, someone just told us all to like put that in our Instagram bios and like, it's just, <laughs> we don't update it enough. And it's like, it's, it's just not, it's not real urgency a lot of times. Sometimes yeah. it is. Yeah, completely agree. <laughs> All right. So one of the other topics that Tia mentioned that I absolutely 100 wholeheartedly uh, believe in and agree with was we need more good people making lots of money and generating wealth. And we have already talked about before we started recording that we think entrepreneurship is one of the easiest ways to do this. Talk to me about why not only that you believe this, but that it's actually part of your mission in helping making this happen. Yeah just for context, like I was very much like the punk rock kid in high school who was like anti-capitalism and down with the government. And like, that was, that's like very much like at the root of who who I am as a person. And so I feel like a little bit of a hypocrite to be like, now I'm a business coach and I'm going to help you make money. (laughs) But it's just like, I'm, I'm 33 years old and I feel like I have done like a bunch of activism in my life and I've tried to do a bunch of things. And the thing that holds up people all the time in whatever activism is money. Like people need money and like it or not, like that is the society we're in. So it's now I very much kind of switched my beliefs to be like, well, if we can't completely redo the system, like how can we make this system work for the most people? And so I feel like one thing that has been really beautiful about my journey in entrepreneurship is like, I just very often have like much more cash at hand. I mean, the pandemic was like a little bit different. That was harder, (laughs) but that was harder for everyone. (laughs) But I very often have like much more cash available. So like when I see a GoFundMe that I connect with, like I can be like, yeah, of course I can just like drop a hundred dollars there. Or like in Louisiana, we've had, um, I mean, in 2020, in 2020, we had five named hurricanes or tropical storms hit our coast. And then in 2021, we had like a major hurricane um, come through and just cause a ton of damage. And so like the need for mutual aid is huge. And like me being able to be like, yes, I can go to Walmart and buy you like enough clothes to last you for this like next week because you just left and now you're like evacuated and you're here in New Orleans. Like, yes, I can like go and just like buy you clothes and I can just like bring you clothes. And like being able to do that, have the space to do that. I feel like has really helped me kind of like reframe how I think about money and wealth. So that's my kind of long way of answering. Like, I think more people, more people who are like interested in helping people need to gain access to money because having all the money kind of clogged up at the top and then having a bunch of people be like, well, I don't want to raise my prices because I want to stay accessible. And then like in staying accessible, they're also keeping their self in low hourly rates or low rates, whatever it is for them. And then they're just kind of like perpetuating. And then when they get into an issue, they also need mutual aid. And like, it's just, I just need all of us who are like working class or who anyone who like has a deep need or like want to help other people. I think that they should be making more money because I think that's how we can help more people. If that makes sense. It absolutely makes sense. That's My mom and I had a conversation a few weeks ago and she was like, I don't know any rich person that like gives away money. I'm like, 
I'm not claiming that energy. Thank you very much. <laughs> like <laughs> one of the biggest reasons why I want to be considered wealthy or rich or you know whatever you want to call it is because I want to help people because there are organizations or animals that I want to help. <laughs> Sorry, honey. He does definitely not want to hear that, but that's okay. You know, it's, I think generating wealth allows us to help make ways for people that haven't had a chance to generate it yet. So I think that's incredibly important. Yeah. And I also know that not everyone has the time, space, ability to start their own business. Entrepreneurship has a bunch of stumbling blocks to get there. And so like, I'm very interested in my company's generating like enough revenue that I can live a very good life. And granted, like, I mean, sure, it would be fun to like make millions of dollars and like live a million dollar selling sunset lifestyle. That could be fun to try out. <laughs> yes. But, like, honestly, that's like not my biggest goal. Like I don't need to be making millions of dollars for myself, but I do see myself hiring employees and like paying them really well and like having benefits that are good, giving them paid time off, having like paid maternity leave for anyone who needs it. There are so many things that I would love to do as an employer. And I'm not like entirely there yet. I like have, you know, some little like contractors that I'm working with, but it's very much the future of my business. I imagine being able to provide ways for other people to make a really great living with great benefits and flexibility without having to do all of the business stuff. If that's not like what lights them up because it's what lights me up. Like it's what I love to do. Yeah, I'm 100% in agreement. I actually, we're in the process process of hiring our very first employee. And mm-hmm. that was, it's something that we're working towards is creating and an, what's it called? The thing that employees employers do in their work environment. There's a word for it. <laughs> I've lost your brain. It's just gone. <laughs> I don't know. Oh my goodness. Anyway, I'll just, whatever, it's fine. By creating an atmosphere that allows, you know, our employees to, to live a life that they're proud of and that they love and that they love their work and they're paid well for it. Cause these Mm -hmm. skills are not easy, Mm -mm. you know, building, building a business and then having the supporting roles of your business that requires skill sets that I think are taken for granted a lot. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, kind of my first my wife left her job in August and now she's like kind of starting her own business, but we also kind of like run it together on the back end. And that was kind of like my, my first journey into like growing my team was like, okay, can my business and like adjacent businesses to my business actually support our whole family? And like, so far the answer is yes. Congratulations. (laughs) That's yeah, it's been going well. And so now we've definitely been talking about in 2022, what does it look like? Is it like first that I bring on an assistant or like what's kind of our next Higher because right now we have like me, my wife, and my accountant, and I guess my coach, but like she's not an employee. She's like a, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But she's yeah, still part of like, the team. So I get it. Yeah. And I love that the revenue that I generate is like supporting her like small coaching business and supporting like my accountant's like accounting business. And like I know my accountant has employees. And so I feel like small businesses, when we start to generate wealth, we can also like all support each other. And like yes. that feels like a really beautiful economy to me. I've worked for like big contract companies as a photographer where like, I mean, I got paid well, like I got paid like a hundred dollars an hour to go and photograph weddings. But I know that like the company was making like $200 for every hour that I worked. And I'm like, Hmm, what, where's <laughs> that money going? <laughs> What's that about? <laughs> right. No, I think yeah. 
our little, y'all can't see me, but I put quotation marks, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, bubble of entrepreneurship. I live in the photography space, even though I'm not a photographer, mm-hmm. I just live in the space of photographers because y'all are my clients and I love you and you need help <laughs> <laughs> and you need help. <laughs> um, but I think it's such, especially the group that I, I believe you and I met in, it's such a incredible ecosystem of people who are so supportive of one another's dreams, no matter the direction you go, because you can be in photography and you can all like do your businesses different. You can have a boudoir, two boudoir businesses, and they're still like vastly different. Yeah. But how supportive the community can be. And granted, I know there's some that's not, but especially the group that I feel like we came, we met in, it's just so cool to see all of you building your businesses and making dreams come true and supporting one another while doing it. Yeah. Yeah. It's very cool. It's very cool to see kind of everyone sharing money around and like, yeah, I just feel like when we make more money, we can hire more people and we can do more things. And it's just, it's really beautiful. I'm not even going to lie. I've gotten so emotional during this interview. (laughs) Like. I appreciate the space that you've created so much in who you are as a person and who you're serving as people. I just, it's amazing. And thank you. And I just love what you're doing with your business. Not only the photography, like that, that in and of itself is so important, but on the business coaching side, ensuring that people are working their business in a way that aligns with their ethics while generating wealth is just, we need more of this. Yeah. So bad. yeah, can I actually speak on the one thing that I feel like, so if we're talking about generating wealth and I feel like that kind of comes into the conversation of like, how do I raise my prices or how do I charge more? Or like, how do I do whatever? And that's where I feel like a lot of people who are people who are very focused on building ethical businesses often have a lot of like shame and guilt around raising their prices. And so the thing that's helped me kind of like think through that, because I also had a lot of shame and guilt being like, if I raise my prices, like I'm not going to book the clients that I want to, or like the clients that I want to work with don't have money. So like, why would I raise my prices? And my kind of response to that now is just because I raise my prices and have a higher starting point. I I talk very openly about numbers because <laughs> I think like, it'd be nice if everyone did, yeah. but like my wedding photography packages really start at like five and a half thousand dollars, which is like decently high for, um, it's not like the most expensive, but it's definitely not like the most affordable wedding photographers in my area. But just because like that is my starting rate, it also means that like, if someone comes along and they're like a client who I really connect with, who really like likes my work, who really wants to work with me, I have no problem charging less. Even if that couple is like, you can never share our images. Even if the couple is like, has a wedding in a venue that like, I don't like working in or like, isn't going to be like great portfolio work. Like it just, it, that none of that matters. If I want to work with a couple and the couple really connects with me and my work, I just work it into my pricing that like two to three weddings every year are going to be a lower price point. And so like, when I think about my pricing, I just think about it more in terms of what yearly revenue do I want to be hitting? And like, how many weddings do I want to work to get to that number? Then inside there, it doesn't matter if someone pays me 2000 3000 or 7000 If I'm hitting that same mark at the end of the month or at the end of the year, like it just doesn't actually matter to me. So for anyone who's like thinking about raising their prices, 
and feeling like very conflicted because they don't want to become inaccessible or they don't think they'll be able to work with the people that they want to work with. It's just like your prices don't need to be set in stone for everyone. You can make exceptions without really advertising. Oh, yes, I have three weddings a year that I take at a lower price point. Like you can talk about it if that feels right for you to talk about, but it's just raise your prices, but also work with the people you want to work with if it feels right to work with them. That's such a great point. So, kind of piggybacking off of it, if you had one actionable tip that someone can do today to start the journey of generating wealth, of building a business, of making more money, what would that tip be? So this is like a very like practical nitty gritty tip, but a lot of us sell packages in like terms of three different packages. Like that's just very common. There's like a little package, a medium package and a big package. And oftentimes the medium package is like the most commonly booked. And it's like a price point that we're very comfortable booking. So I say, take that price point, whatever your medium package costs, and make it the new price point of your lowest package. Like do nothing else, like change nothing else. Just take your medium package and take the price point because that is a price that you're like already comfortable booking. You've made this amount of money. It feels familiar. Like it's already coming to you. So just take that and put it down to the lowest package because people are already used to paying you that much money. So now you're like, yes, you can still access me, access me and my services for this amount of money. Just put it to the lower price point, take your highest package price, put it to the medium one. And then like bump up your highest package, however much you want. Like that's something that you could do today. You could just like go on your website or like go on your pricing guide and just like move your prices down one and just like see how it works. And does it work? Will people still book you? Probably. (laughs) They probably will because you're still accessible at that price point that they're there. And you're still accessing like numbers that you're used to making. And I think sometimes when people raise their prices, they like put all new pricing out and it kind of like shocks their system. And then they're like, oh my gosh, like no one's ever going to pay me $7,000 or whatever, (laughs) because it just like feels unusual to them. And then you're worse at selling it because you can't like stand behind it. So if it's already numbers that you're used to and you're just shifting them, that's just, I, there's like much more I have to say about like pricing and like how to be strategic on your pricing. And I have like a whole calculator to like help you figure it out, but that all takes like time and energy. And if you're like, have this gut feeling, like I need to raise my prices because I need to be making more money to like reach whatever lifestyle I want shift your prices down one and just like watch yourself. Like all of a sudden, you know, if you're doing 20 weddings a year and you're making, oh gosh, I'm really bad at doing math in my head, but if you're doing 20 weddings, (laughs) I was a math teacher for eight years. Like I should be very good at math, but I'm very bad at math in my head. The only reason I I don't have a college degree is because I cannot pass algebra. So that tells you where my math level is at. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I'm very dyslexic. So I literally can't do any math in my head. Um, But if you are booking 20 weddings a year and you increase each of your packages by just $500 and you're making like 10 extra thousand dollars a year and like $10,000 can be like a total life-changing amount of money to people. Yeah, It's like, you know, an extra $800 every month. That's, that's big. That's really big. Absolutely. So shift your prices and just like instantly start making more money. <laughs> I That's incredible. I think that's such a smart tip. And we actually had a money mindset uh, episode a few episodes ago where we talked about getting familiar with new numbers. So I love yeah. that it's not even like a new number. It's just switching the number you're already comfortable with, you're, you're feel good about and just switching the, the package. It, it moves. Yeah. Like, that's incredibly smart. 
Yeah, I did it with my engagements. I've like done it now with my weddings a couple times. And I usually do that as like a precursor to like, okay, I need to do some deeper work on figuring out my prices, but I want to not like waste another moment charging the prices that I'm currently charging. Like I want to just start charging more. Um, but I did it with my engagement sessions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I do like a ton of engagement sessions where like people are like flying into New Orleans, they're like tourists and they want to do an engagement session. Makes sense. And I did it and I basically like I had been charging $350 for an engagement session for a very long time. And then I like did this little price switch rue and then like instantly was making $675 for every engagement session. And like nobody batted an eye. Like n- nobody, nobody even like noticed. And I was like, it's like doubling my prices. And I just Nobody noticed. And it felt fine because like that $675 was like my highest package. And so it was a number that I was very used to talking about and seeing. It's just that nobody ever booked it. But when that number became my middle package, everyone booked it. So I was like, all right. <laughs> I'm like, go. okay, this, this, this works. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. So I always like to wrap up my interviews with three questions. Um, okay. However, I know one of them is your favorite quote and you had a triple landing on it. So do you have one? Can we make one up? I don't know. You probably have awesome quotes we could pull from this episode, honestly. Yeah, I have. So I have a very hard time picking my favorite of anything just in general. <laughs> but actually one thing that I, I don't know if I've read it or if I like came up with it, it myself, and I don't want to credit it to myself if it's not me. I just honestly do not know. I like really still listen to so many business audio books and like podcasts and things that I just like my brain gets very blurry for where ideas have come from. But the thing that I've been like telling to myself on repeat lately is to like not let how I was raised with money affect how people pay me money. Mm-hmm. So for me, when when my wife and I got married, it was before I was in the wedding industry. It was like 2015. And our entire wedding budget for everything was like $5,000. And that was so much money to us. I was a teacher. She was a PhD student. Like we had no money. And so like the idea of someone paying me $5,000 to just photograph their wedding, like still like there's a tug of war in my head. And so I just constantly tell myself, like, don't let how I was raised to think about money affect how I let people pay me because not everyone was raised with the same like money trauma that I have. And I think it's not like for me, money mindset is definitely like a thing to be working on, but like acknowledging that it's like also money trauma. Like we have trauma around money and how we were raised to think about it and just being like, it's okay. (laughs) You have that trauma. It's okay. Acknowledge it. And then like, let people pay you. That's so smart. I haven't thought about having money trauma. I think it's a really interesting. I certainly have it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like my business coach gets on me all the time. She's like, let's talk about your pricing. And I'm like, let's talk about anything else. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's how we were raised. And obviously I don't know how everyone was raised, but I just, I know that we had money sometimes and we didn't have money sometimes. And it wasn't money was never like an easy, fun topic to talk about. It was always like stress and fighting and just not great. So it's okay to have money trauma and it's okay to acknowledge it and just remind myself to not let it affect how I let people pay me. That's awesome. All right. So then uh, tell me what your favorite business tool is. Like my favorite technology tool. Mm-hmm. So my, f- <laughs> my favorite, I feel like my favorite like organizational tool is Dubsado. I love Dubsado, but my favorite yeah. like marketing tool is TikTok. And I think that people are very intimidated by TikTok, but TikTok just has the most incredible potential. 
out of like any platform that I'm on now or like using regularly. It's also just like the most fun. It's the only like social media that I can really accidentally spend two hours scrolling. (laughs) Same. So it's like very uh, addictive, but it's just like, it's fun. And I find it fun to create content on TikTok and just like engaging in it. And I think it's a tool that, yeah, just a lot of people aren't using right now. Even as it gets more saturated, there's still a ton of room there. Yeah, I completely agree. I haven't done anything on TikTok for my business. Mostly my TikTok is talking about therapy and trauma and anxiety and book reviews. I honestly think that that's like a great route to take for TikTok is to like be a personality on TikTok. And then like, as people get invested in you, then they're like more invested in your offers or like more, they like, it's like a great platform to build some trust with people so that they like Mm -hmm. build this parasocial relationship with you. And then they're just like more likely to want to work with you in the future. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. All right. So this is my favorite of all my questions. And I say this every single episode, but it's fine. And I'm especially excited about your answer to it. So if you and I were to go grab a drink, where would we go? And what would we have if I came to you? Oh, if you were here in New Orleans? Yes. So there's this, this, um, hotel, hotel Peter, Peter and Paul in New Orleans. It has like a great happy hour. And I think that we would go there. It's also like one of my favorite wedding venues. Um, they have, it's like a big old church that has been renovated to be like a hotel, a bar and a restaurant where like the old school house is now the hotel. And like the big old church is a big like space for the restaurant or space for weddings. It's just like a really beautiful space. that's like decorated, very grandma chic. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) I'm also on board with it. It's a lot of like beautiful, like gingham and like interesting wallpapers. And it's like very like maximalist aesthetic, which I just really love. I think there's like, you know, a ton of like minimalism and like, but like, obviously if people aren't seeing me, but you can see my office is like a little maximalist too. Yeah. I (laughs) think it's done very well. Thank you. (laughs) And so we would go there and then we would get whatever was on the happy hour menu. I don't know what's on the happy hour menu. I'm down. But we would go there. It's a beautiful space and the drinks are very nice. (laughs) Hey, I I love a good cocktail. So that sounds great to me. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Tia, thank you so much for coming on. I have absolutely loved this interview and you had so many fantastic nuggets throughout it. Can you let us know where we can find you, hang out with you, learn more about your services, all of those things? Yeah. So I'm at Tia Nash on Instagram and at Tia.Nash on TikTok. And those are the two places that I hang out on the most. My Instagram is like a bit more wedding content. And my TikTok is a bit more like self-employed business coachy content. I've kind of like separated the two to be those two, but there's some crossover with both of them. I love it. Yeah. I will definitely be following you on TikTok because I can't wait to see all of it. Well, thank you again for coming on and you guys, we will catch you next week. Thank you. Well, that wraps us up for this week. Thank you so much for joining on this episode of the Success Beyond Lens podcast. If you are loving our content, it would mean the world to me if you subscribe to our channel or left us a review. You can always hang out with me on the gram at Success Beyond the Lens. Hope to see you guys next week.